0: Hello everyone, welcome to Typhoon Talks, brought to you by Typhoon Consulting, a boutique management consultancy headquartered in Hong Kong. My name is Elena and I'm an analyst at Typhoon Consulting. And I'm Sophie, also an analyst here with the firm. Apart from hosting several typhoons in a period of only a couple of weeks, September has also been very generous for the events in tech space. So today we're going to be talking about Goldman Sachs' move into digital consumer banking, incoming IPOs from the Disruptors in closed Mobility Solutions, and a recent case of illegal robocalls. So starting with the first one, Goldman Sachs has recently launched a new consumer digital bank in the UK, named after one of the bank's founders, Marcos, have been available in the United States for two years where it has already accumulated more than $20 billion in deposits and lent $3 billion to customers. With the returns of 1.5% on instant savings accounts, they're offering the highest returns on the market right now for savings from only £1. This is interesting given that post-Brexit many banks are trying to get out of the UK, and also that it's traditionally known for its investment banking and securities capabilities. Sophie, why do you think it has moved into consumer banking? So, I think there's probably a couple
1: of reasons behind Goldman Sachs' move. Firstly, in relation to Brexit and why Britain, I think that this isn't actually a UK-specific move. As you mentioned, they've already been operating in the US for a couple of years, and a Goldman Sachs spokesman has already told the press that they intend to expand out into Europe, with Germany being next on their list. I guess, though, where other banks are looking to leave the UK, there may also be room for opportunities to Goldman Sachs to take over market share there. But in terms of why consumer banking in general, I think the predominant reason for this move seems to be to reduce the cost of funding. So although 1.5% may seem like a high interest rate for them to pay to consumers compared to other commercial banks, this is actually still relatively low versus pricey institutional investors. So for example, Bloomberg have estimated that They currently pay an average fixed coupon on average um, to investors of 3.86%, which is obviously considerably higher than that 1.5%. So I think this move is really to try and diversify the firm's fundings and ultimately to cut costs and boost margins where at all possible.
0: And who do you think they're going to be competing with in the UK?
1: So it's interesting, this one. I think... Goldman Sachs have said that they're aiming to attract savers and take business away from the leading UK high street banks, so Lloyd's, Barclays, HSBC, etc., which currently control 80% of the market. However, what's interesting is they're offering a very different business model to these traditional banks. So having trialed this banking service with employees over the last few months, it looks like this service is only going to be online, with no physical walk-in branches, which is what traditionally characterises these UK high street banks. So actually, some may see this online platform competing more with the likes of newer digital startups. So companies such as Monzo, Starling, Circle, um, and these new digital focus banks and lenders are also trying to shake the dominance of the traditional high street banks. So I see Marcus as somewhere in between the two, with a more traditional and well-known name like the bigger high street banks, albeit known for a slightly different area of banking, but offering online services much like the newer startups.
0: All sounds great in theory, but do you think it will actually kick off in practice?
1: So I think the first thing to note is that Goldman Sachs have said that this rate of 1.5% is variable. So long term, we may find that this rate is only used as a teaser to take market share and then reduced over time. So customers may want to wait until it's a little clearer on what their policy is going to be long term. But even if they do maintain this high rate, the account actually only pays 0.09% more than the current table topper, which is the Yorkshire Building Society in terms of savings. And this actually translates as an extra 90p a year for someone who has a thousand pound deposit. So you can see that actually the differences are pretty small. So it will be interesting to see whether people make that jump across. And I think finally it will be really interesting to see how Marcus competes against these newer tech startups that we were talking about. Because unlike, for example, a company like Monzo, they don't offer a current account. They have no overdraft and they have no ATM networks. So although Marcus may be great for those who only want to save, it may actually lack convenience for customers with other more complex banking desires.
0: I agree. I think if we're talking about savings and especially investments, simple saving accounts are not probably the best option to go for. People who are really serious about it will probably go for some investment brokerage firms rather than just yeah, you
1: know, exactly. expecting
0: the p for their £1,000.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: So we're now going to
1: move on and talk about some tech IPOs that are coming up in the foreseeable future. And first up is a player from China, Bitmain, and this is a Beijing-based cryptocurrency mining giant that has officially filed for an application to go public on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange this September. So as the application is still in draft form and pending further listing hearings from the HKEX, it remains unclear how much the firm will be valued at eventually. So looking at all this volatility in the cryptocurrency market at the moment, do you think that it is the right time for Bitmain to go public?
0: So of course it might seem to be completely the wrong time to go for IPO. How do we think about this. Bitcoin is generally a very volatile currency on its own. We've seen up and downs of it maybe several times within a year and it always seems to come back but one thing that is definitely affected by its volatility is consumer confidence and purchasing power which also seem to move together with bitcoin cycles so obviously when it goes up everyone seems to be absolutely excited about it buying bitcoin and going for it and then when it's down everyone is talking about the end of um Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency on its own. So these up and downs have already affected Bitmain in a negative way, as company have made several wrong predictions regarding the expected demand in 2018. So by overstuffing the inventory, Bitmain um, actually have incurred quite severe losses, which will definitely have an implication on its share price when it goes to IPO very soon. On top of that, one major concern nevertheless lies within the company itself. So currently Bitmain accepts cryptocurrency as a form of payment for their product. Out of all profit shares, it's been 20% that they accepted in the form of cryptocurrency, and it will probably make it very unstable. But it's definitely not something that will prevent them from doing a successful IPO. Okay,
1: thanks so much for your thoughts, Lena. I now want to ask you about Niu, which is a Chinese startup that is trying to make electric scooters as high profile as Tesla's electric cars. They are looking to go public in New York in an attempt to raise $300 million. And although its starting market is China, Niu plans to win over the European consumers as well. Do you think it would make more sense for Niu To start in its domestic market, which has unlimited opportunities for growth, rather than tapping into competition for a very mature European market dominated by the likes of Vesta and Honda.
0: So NIO is obviously an impressive company to watch and um, in a relatively short period of time they've grown into electric scooter powerhouse gaining as far as i'm uh, around 25 percent market share in china because of its high-tech perks such as uh, built-in telemetry with powerful data and allow rides to check multiple different vehicle statistics such as uh, location riding history vehicle status and power statistics in real time through the mobile app so riders also get access to vehicle diagnostics anti-thief alerts and after-sales service so overall it definitely has an age in china already on the other side, however, NIO is also showing great performance outside of China as well. Over the past year, it has already reached 11% market share in Europe, and their primary goal is to settle in Germany, which they expect will give them an access to other European markets. So NIO will be competing with a range of brands such as Govex, Mco, Compan, eVespa and Scudi. Premium Automaker BMW weighed in by launching its C Evolution e-scooter in 2014 as well, so that's a big competitor to watch out for. But so far, none of them has actually made a breakthrough, so we currently have a lot of players within the market, but not a dominant one. In this case, New believes that its scooters can successfully compete through pricing, which is several times lower than that of its rivals. Interestingly, this pricing that they're doing in Germany is still several times higher than what they propose in China, so I'm not sure how customers will reflect on that if they gain such knowledge. Yet, even with that, NIO will have to be careful with its already established Taiwanese counterpart, Gokura, which on top of everything, offers a replaceable charging station, so similar to Tesla, where you can drive on the road and if your power is off, you can drive by one of the stations and you exchange the battery, and then you can continue with it. And I'm not sure whether NIO will be offering similar services as well, so I think the time will show whether they will be able to successfully compete on the European market but one thing is for certain they are definitely one of the major players in China
1: okay thanks so much
0: so our final piece of IPOs is Uber the largest startup in the world and its smaller US rival Lyft are gearing up to go public in 2019 at latest at latest valuation Lyft was estimated to be valued at 15 billion dollars and Uber at 76 billion dollars despite neither company currently profitable So Sosie, do you think there are any factors to look out for in the next few months and into 2019, which could significantly impact their uh, forthcoming IPOs? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a
1: fair few factors to look out for. The first thing to bear in mind is timing. So at the moment Lyft seems to be set for their IPO in March or April of next year, whereas Uber is more likely to be in the second half of the year. And it seems that whoever goes first may get the benefit of the doubt in terms of size of the market and will have less competition in terms of investors. Whereas the second firm, so at this point in time that looks like it's going to be Uber, is likely to be judged, judged directly against its rival. However, I think that given the huge difference in the size of the two firms, it's unlikely that Lyft having their IPO first is going to be seriously detrimental to Uber. And in addition to timing, I think there are a few noteworthy stories in the press which might impact their IPOs. So, for example, recently there have been reports that Uber are looking to acquire Deliveroo for around $2 billion. And this acquisition would allow Uber to seriously expand its food delivery business outside the US and better compete with the likes of Just Eat, Whose shares actually saw a 9% drop at one point following this news? So, further news of acquisitions would significantly strengthen Uber's positioning for an IPO. And any further additions that haven't yet been released for either Uber or Lyft um, could impact their future growth and IPO success. And this may be particularly relevant to car based, to alternatives to car based transportation. Um, you were obviously just talking about electric scooters. But both Uber and Lyft have talked about their intentions to spread into alternative means of transport sharing in addition to cars. On the flip side, the IPO might be negatively affected by alternatives to Uber or Lyft. So, BMW, for example, has recently started Reach Now, which is an on demand transport service dubbed as a posh Uber. It is currently only available in Seattle, but if other services start to appear and compete with the likes of Uber or Lyft, then there may be negative consequences for these firms. And a final point worth noting is that certain cities are trying to limit Ubers or even ban them. So New York has already approved a cap on licences for ride-hailing cars affecting both firms, and London has spoken about trying to follow suit in the future. So all these factors and potential future news stories will likely
0: play a part in the success of both Uber and Lyft's IPOs next year. Interesting. So I remember reading that there have been numerous controversies surrounding these two companies, but in particular Uber. So one of them, I remember, was Uber trying to hide one of the hacker attacks that happened a year ago, as a result of which about a million of their accounts have been stolen but they've only acknowledged it a year after. So how do you think stories like that will impact um, Uber or Lyft's IPOs? Yeah, so there have been, as you said, numerous stories about
1: particularly Uber and their ethical practice. I think something that's been particularly controversial is their model based on the gig economy. And this is particularly controversial. So this is where they essentially hire their drivers on a short-term basis rather than as full-time employees. And they argue that this means that they're more flexible, it means that people can work the hours that they want, but it also means they're not liable to pay additional expenses and ultimately they save money on their costs. And so this is something that's particularly controversial, although actually Uber have just recently had a victory in a legal case where the US Fed appeals court have ruled that Uber drivers could not sue as a group in their bid to be considered employees rather than independent contractors and you also mentioned that there's been confidentiality concerns and also (laughs) recently there's been allegations of racism by management, investigation of Uber drivers for sexual assault, dangerous driving and also stalking. So as you can imagine, I think, you know, these stories are only going to be harmful to Uber's reputation. And if this continues to get worse, then this may affect their customer base with people being reluctant to use the service, which could then have negative consequences on their IPO. But the new manag- they've brought in some new management recently, and they've explicitly said that they're going to try and turn this reputation around. So, I mean, I guess only time will tell whether they're successful with this challenge. They've certainly got a lot of concerns to get over and I'm sure that there's the potential for more negative press to come out but despite this we've got to remember that Uber maintains such a strong customer base and given that they still remain popular despite the severity of many of the stories that we've both mentioned I think that looking forward if there are more controversies they're going to have to be incredibly severe for them to seriously have a large impact on Uber's performance in their IPO.
0: Uber is definitely using a phrase, negative marketing (laughs) is still a marketing, probably in their
1: vision strategy. (laughs) So on to our final story, we are talking about robocalls and how they're already becoming a reality. So the Federal Communications Commission on Wednesday fined robocaller Philip Rosell and his companies more than $82 million for illegal caller ID spoofing. And Rosal made more than 21 million robocalls over a three month period. Spoofing a robocall essentially means someone else's phone number is displayed when the telemarketer makes these calls. So this is obviously problematic because people can't report these numbers and when you look at your phone, you might not immediately realize that it is a spoof call. So this is the fear that a lot of people might be concerned with when we're talking about the introduction of AI and robots. Elena, what do you think? Do you think this is just a single case of such fraud, or is this already an epidemic and something we're going to see much more of?
0: So definitely mentioning robotics and AI being implemented pretty much in every company. Unfortunately, technological advancements not only benefit us, but they also open up new ways and new opportunity for scammers to uh, use them. So in case uh, of Philip Rozel, unfortunately, he's not the only one. FCC, so Federal Communication Commission, has imposed another fine of $120 million on a Florida man who made approximately 100 million robocalls offering exclusive vacation deal from well-known travel companies, companies such as Marriott Hotel or Travago. So obviously people would trust these companies, believe it, and uh, fall for calls. So, according to Robo, a telecom service company behind the robocall blocking app, reported last month, they've seen an explosion of neighbor spoofed type of calls. So, this is a type of calls where a robocaller uses a fa- uses a fake number that looks similar to a local number near you. So, you can imagine a neighbor is calling you for some help, or you know, someone you might have known but did not put into your contact. So, of course, you will pick up the phone, and but obviously, it will be an ultimate scam. So. In my view, with further advancements in you know, voice recognition and replication, such calls and scams can become even more advanced, as robots will be able to not only make such calls, but they will be able to mimic the voice of maybe your friends or even relatives. So that's definitely quite spooky. Uh, with such doomed prospects, I don't really believe that simple finds can scare away any type of fraudulent activities in the future. Yeah, so it's
1: interesting. I know we were talking the other day how these fines do seem. They seem to be such large amounts, but actually, the benefit that they're getting from the using these rogue vocals may actually outweigh the fines that they're having to pay. So, I'm sure in the future we'll see a lot of change in regulation, and obviously that will be a hot topic. Definitely, because we don't know. Yeah,
0: we don't know how much profit um, these scammers have made, and maybe even with these fines, they still bre- They still were able to break even. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Follow us on Twitter and at Typhoon Buzz and iTunes and SoundCloud at Typhoon Talks for more podcast episodes. Also, please visit our website at www.typhoonconsulting.com for more industry points of view. We hope you'll join us again next time.